Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading for this day comes from Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the verse, verse 14. This often is called the parable of the talents, or in this version, the parable of the valuable coins. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip, who called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave five valuable coins, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability, then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, excellent, you are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, master, you gave me two valuable coins. Look, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, you are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. Now the one who had received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid. And I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. His master replied, you evil and lazy servant, you knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown and that I gather crops where I haven't spread seed? In that case, you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I returned, you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has ten coins. Those who have much will receive more, and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. Now take the worthless servant and throw him into the farthest darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. I mean, thanks be to God if you're not the one grinding your teeth. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough way to end. Today we're talking about faith 
and faithfulness as it relates to stewardship. Faith and faithfulness. We are called to faith and faithfulness. The, the most common definition of faith comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. The reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. And of course, we refer to that, they use that verse to refer to our faith in God, our belief in who God is and how God works in the world. But the second word is closely related, faith and faithfulness. To be faithful means to be reliable, to be steadfast, to be committed, to be unwavering. When I hear about faithfulness, I think of the marriage vow, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. There is an assumption in the marital vow that both parties will be faithful to the other in good times and in bad times, both through the joys and the difficulties until we are parted by death. But there also, did you notice in the marital vow, a a proactive kind of stance. Faithfulness is proactive to have, to hold, to love, to cherish. Well, just as we can assume that uh, faith and faithfulness are related, as we have faith in God, we put our faith in God's faithfulness to us. God is the ultimate model of faithfulness. We read it throughout the scriptures, but particularly in the Psalms. Psalm 33, 5, the Lord's faithful love fills the whole earth. Psalm 36, 5, your loyal love, Lord, extends to the sky. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Psalm 52, 8, I trust in God's faithful love forever and always. Psalm 86, 15, you, my Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You are very patient and full of faithful love. Psalm 105, and I'll stop here. Because the Lord is good, his loyal love lasts forever. And just as we might uh, expect that in a marriage that there is faithfulness on part of both parties, God, as God is faithful to us, anticipates our faithfulness and response. God is perfect in God's faithfulness. We are not always as perfect. Nevertheless, we are called to live faithful lives. Proverbs 3.3, don't let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Bind them on your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Micah 6.8, he has told you what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice, to embrace faithful love and walk humbly with your God. And the promise in Scripture is that as the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives, that certain fruits will be produced. Pastor Emily just spoke on that a couple of weeks ago. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And what's next? faithfulness. It's an anticipation that we in our worship, our love, and our service of God will be faithful as a faithful response to God's faithfulness. Interestingly, James, the book of James, chapter 218, brings these two words together and how they relate, faith and faithfulness. James writes, how can I see your faith 
apart from your actions. Instead, I will show you my faith, my faith in God, by putting it into practice in faithful action. You see, there's a direct and corresponding relationship between our faith in God and our faithful actions. It begins with who we believe God to be and how we live out that belief. We demonstrate our faith through our faithful response to who we believe God is. See, this is the crux of the matter. This is what it means to be a Christian. It is a lifelong pursuit to grow in our faith and our knowledge and our understanding and our experience of God and God's faithfulness to us and to respond accordingly, that we might live our lives as people of faith and live faithful in our actions, our words, our deeds. But it begins with correctly understanding the one in whom we place our faith, understanding what we mean by saying we have faith in God is critical. Who I believe God to be, who I have experienced God to be, leads to the ways in which I am faithful in my response to God. If I know God to be consistently loving, generous, forgiving, then my faithful response will be determined by that faith. But if I have faith in a God who I believe to be angry, punishing, or vindictive, my faithful response might look quite different. How I respond to love is very different than how I might respond to fear. We understand. So today we talk about, we're going to talk about this familiar parable of the talents or the valuable coins. Now I will tell you, I I suspect that just about every stewardship campaign that's ever happened in the history of humanity has included the parable of the talents. I can tell you that just about any time I've preached on stewardship, I've come back to this story, the parable of the talents. You probably have heard other pastors in this pulpit preach on the parable of the talents. Uh, Maybe it will come to mind as you do. But I have a confession to you today. I've preached this passage many, many times, and just in the last year or so, I've come to realize that I've been preaching it all wrong. That what I've thought was the point and the meaning of this passage is quite different than what I come to believe is Jesus' point in telling it. So I'm hoping to make that wrong right today and to hit a little closer to the mark. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a man going on a trip. And before he left on the trip, he called together his servants and handed over all of his possessions, all of his wealth to them for safekeeping. To one he gave five valuable coins, to another he gave two, to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. Now, coins. It sounds a little bit like going to grandma's house and she hands hands you a quarter out of her pocket or her purse. That's not what's happening here. 
The, the word in many translations is talent. That these coins were called talents. In biblical times, a talent was a, a measure of money that was incredibly valuable. By today's standards, possibly worth many thousands of dollars. This wealthy man is leaving all of his wealth in the hands of his three servants. This is a considerable amount of money and an enormous responsibility. Hold my money. Hold my wealth. Hold my life savings while I'm gone. And so to one he gives five coins, who then goes out and does business with it and earns five more. To another servant, he gives two coins, who does the same. He goes out and does business with it and earns two more coins. To a third servant, he gives one valuable coin. And that servant just goes out and digs a hole and buries it in the ground, does nothing with it. Well, the master returns and it's time to settle up accounts. He calls the servants to him. The first servant comes and says, here's your five coins and here's five more that I've made for you. The master says, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. The second servant comes and says, here's the two coins that you gave me and here are two more that I've earned for you. Well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I'll put you in charge of much. Come, much. Come celebrate with me. Did you hear the word in that passage? Faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. That something about the way they managed that wealth in their master's absence was faithful. It's what he expected. It's what he anticipated. It's what he gave them the coins to do. But then comes the third. He hands back his master a coin covered in mud. Master, I knew that you're a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid. I was scared. I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, have what's yours. Well, the master's incensed. That's not what he intended. That's not why he gave the servant the coin. So he takes it from him. And who does he give it to? He gives it to the servant who had five coins and turned it into 10. And he said, those who have much will receive more and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. Now, the obvious moral to the story, the way you've probably heard it preached before, the way I've preached it every time in the past is don't bury your talents. If God gives you a wealth, if God gives you an ability, if God gives you something that's a blessing to you, don't stick it in a hole. Use it for the good of others. Does that sound at all familiar? I suspect that's the way you've always heard it. But I want to suggest to you today that that misses the entire point of this parable. That the point of this parable has nothing to do ultimately with what we do with the gifts that God gives us but that this parable really is about how we understand the nature and character of God. Before we can be faithful, we have to begin with faith. Our faithfulness is a response to who we understand God to be in 
faith. And so I am assuming in reading this parable, as Jesus tells it, that the master, the wealthy master, represents, who would you guess? God. Thus the servants must represent us. I think if we're going to take a deeper look at this passage, there's some pretty key questions that we need to ask. Why is it that the first two servants felt the liberty, the freedom, the expectation even, to go out and do business with their master's wealth? Isn't that a risky thing to do? I mean, isn't there the possibility you go out and do business with somebody else's money that you could lose some of their money? What was it about their relationship with the master that led them to believe that it was worth the risk? And likewise, what was it about the third servant's belief in the master that caused him to be afraid and to put his coin in the ground? I mean, what kind of master is this? What kind of master would give all that he has to his servants for safekeeping? He could have just taken it to the bank to earn interest. Why would he put it in the servant's hands? Isn't that a risky thing to do? And isn't he being awfully hard on the third servant? This third servant did the safe thing, the responsible thing, He hid it away so nothing bad could happen to it. Why is that such a terrible thing to do? To understand this parable, I think we need to understand two things about it that are not immediately obvious. Part of how I came to understand this passage differently was when I discovered when Jesus told the parable. Jesus told this parable just three or four days before he died during what we call Holy Week. This apparently was one of the last things on his mind that he wanted to communicate. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would be thinking about a stewardship sermon right before he died? Probably not. What's even more telling about this passage is who Jesus is telling the parable to. He told it to Pharisees. This parable was for Pharisees. He wasn't telling faithful followers, now remember, you need to be good stewards when I'm gone. He was confronting the Pharisees, the very men who are plotting his death. Well, that changes the parable completely. I do believe, you've heard me say it many times, I do believe in a a generous God, a God of abundance who pours out gifts and that we then have the privilege to manage them well, use them well for the kingdom. I do believe that. But I think this passage is primarily about opposing visions of God. If the master represents God, What kind of God is Jesus describing? The theologian Carolyn Jane Bowler writes, though no human imaginings can capture God's essence, how we think about God affects us. What affects our beliefs or prayers is how we imagine God to have and use power, how God wills and makes God's will happen or not. What matters for our faith is how we, God, and the world relate to each other. 
If you think about this parable, it, it, it shows us two very opposing understandings of who God might be. One vision is demonstrated in the actions of the first two servants. The other is the action of the third. The first two servants viewed their master as generous. They must have if they went out and used it to create more wealth. But the third feared the master. The first two servants demonstrate for us a vision of God who is a God of freedom and a God of grace. But the third servant represents someone who believes that God is someone to be feared, a God of punishment, a God of judgment. One vision is a vision of abundant love and generosity. The other is a vision of scarcity. One is a vision of faithful stewardship. The other is a vision of fearful hoarding. Now imagine Jesus standing before the Pharisees telling them this parable. Do we really think Jesus was telling the Pharisees who were plotting his death, now I need you guys always to remember to fill out your pledge card. I don't think so. I think he was confronting them and their wrong ideas about God. As the Pharisees heard this parable, which of the three servants do you think they identified with? and could relate to. You have to remember it was the Pharisees that were rule makers, rule keepers, rule enforcers. Their their number one goal in life was to stay out of trouble with God because they believed God to be a God of wrath and vengeance. They believed in a punishing and fearful God. Their God was stingy, reserving just little dribbles of grace for the most deserving of the rule keepers. But is that how Jesus described God? Never. Jesus spoke of God in completely different terms. He described God as a loving father who has good gifts for his children. He described God as as like a shepherd who pursues lost sheep or a father who welcomes home a prodigal son. Jesus' God loved all people and forgave all people. Jesus talked about a God who provides for us daily bread. We just prayed that a moment ago. He said, look at the birds of the sky. Look at the lilies of the field and how God cares for them. If God cares for the birds and the lilies, does he not care much more for you? So why do you worry? That's the God that Jesus imagines. 1 John 4, 16 through 18 says, God is love. Those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us so that we can have confidence on the judgment day because we are exactly the same as God in this world. There is no fear in love. The third servant feared the master. Is it possible that the first and second servant loved their master. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. Author Henry Nouwen writes, following Jesus is moving away from fear toward love. 
This parable is absolutely appropriate for stewardship, but for an entirely different reason than I think we've always heard. In fact, if this parable is nothing more than another moralistic lesson about how we use our God-given gifts faithfully and not allow them to go to waste or else, aren't we just buying into the same fear-based legalism as the Pharisees and the third servant? Stewardship is about faithfulness, but it begins with understanding who God is. It begins with faith. Stewardship begins not with a predetermined definition of faithfulness. It begins with a clear-eyed vision of God. It begins in faith and trust in who God actually is. It begins with the character and nature of God, which is good. It begins with love, not fear. And here's what especially strikes me about this verse. If the master is God, and if this master has tremendous wealth to be shared, doesn't it mean that God must have tremendous faith in us to place so much goodness in our hands? What does it say about God that he would give this world to us to use faithfully. Hasn't God entrusted in each one of us tremendous wealth? And here I don't just mean income, money, but I'm not excluding it either. Hasn't God entrusted with every, with every one of us tremendous gifts and abilities and lessons and time and relationships when we join the United Methodist Church, we pledge that we're going to support it with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. It's all of it. How do we bring all of it in faithful response to the God in whom we have our faith? How we practice stewardship by using and sharing these resources demonstrates our faith in the one who places so much faith in us. Sister Joan Chittister writes, having gifts is nothing if we don't use them. To praise the creator for seeding the universe with, with gifts is bogus if we ourselves fa fail to use them to their limits. It's a sin against creation, she writes. And Brennan Manning writes, what makes authentic disciples is not vision, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in ministry, but a capacity for faithfulness. What makes authentic disciples is a capacity for faithfulness. So my question for you this morning as you prayerfully consider what your commitment will be in the coming year as you think about your pledge of support? Does your stewardship reflect a faithfulness and faith in a God of abundance? Or does it reflect a lack of faith or possibly even fear? Do we trust in a God that loves us and promises to take care of us and promises to care for all, to take care of all that we need? Or does our 
response reflect a different idea of who God is. Faith and faithfulness. Faithful stewardship begins and ends with who we believe God to be. Faith leads to faithfulness. Let us pray. And so God, we pray this morning that you not only increase our faith, but increase our faith in who you actually are. That you are a God of abundant love. That you are a generous God. That you pour out good gifts on us constantly. That you invite us to live in freedom. Lord, where there is fear, will you cast it out? And may you find among us good and faithful servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.